All right, would you take your copy of God's Word? Join me in the third chapter of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, this is our third sermon in our series through the book of Samuel. And today we're going to look at a message entitled, Listen, God is Speaking. Listen, God is Speaking. And my prayer is that God would speak to you today and that we would not just simply hear His Word, but that we would listen to what He has to say and then be doers of what God has to say. In fact, that's what the New Testament says. Don't simply be hearers of the Word, but be doers. He says to to look at God's law, God's Word, it's like a, a man who would look at himself in a mirror. And as God's Word reflects back what our real condition really is, we're to make those corrections and ask God to make those changes in our lives. But you'd never go to a mirror with uncombed hair and an unshaven face ready to go out into the world without making those corrections. So when we work, look at God's Word, it's a mirror, and it tells us where we need to make corrections to let God work in our lives. So today we're going to look at this message, Listen, God is Speaking. So follow with me, 1 Samuel chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse number 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep. And the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran to Eli. Now notice this. It was the Lord who called to Samuel. Samuel wakes up. He goes to Eli, and he says, Here I am. Verse 5. He ran to Eli, and he said, Here am I, for you call me. And he said, I called you not. Lie down again. And he went and he lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for you did call me. And he answered, I called you not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here am I, for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. So may God add his blessings today as we look at, listen, God is speaking. All through the scripture, the Bible talks about God's desire to communicate with his creation, mankind. From the opening chapter in the book of Genesis, the Bible says God instructed Adam and Eve as he placed them in the Garden of Eden that you can have leisure to enjoy all of the fruits and all of the, the trees of the Garden of Eden that I have provided for you, with the exception of one, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at that moment, Adam heard God, but he really did not listen to God. And there is a difference, isn't there? He heard the words, but he did not appropriate the Word of God to his heart. He heard it, but he only heard it with intellectual assent and not really uh, listen in a way that would prevent Adam from disobeying God. And then ultimately, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, plunged themselves and the entirety of the human family into enmity with God. When God spoke to Noah, 
God said, Noah, there will be a great deluge that will come upon this world, and all of humanity will be destroyed. So God told Noah to build an ark to the saving of his family. And fortunately, Noah did not simply just hear God speak and pass that off, but Noah listened, appropriated that to his life, and went into the business for the next hundred years of ark building. When Moses went on top of Mount Sinai, to get the law of God for the Hebrew people. The Bible says that God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. You remember when Elijah was running from uh, Queen Jezebel, the wicked queen who was out to kill him. The Bible says he was hiding out in a cave and God spoke to him and Elijah came out to the top of Mount Horeb and that there was a strong wind that tore through the mountains and tore the rocks, the scripture says, but God was not in the wind. And then there was a strong earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. Then there was a fire, but God was not in the fire. But then God spoke to Elijah with a still, small voice. So God speaks in different ways. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed heir of all things and by whom he made the world. God spoke to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road and Saul, the persecutor, became Paul, the gospel preacher. Do you know in the book of Revelation, John was instructed to write a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos, and Thyatira, and Philadelphia, and Sardis, and Laodicea. And the Bible says as John wrote that letter, at the end of the instructions for each one of those churches, he said these words, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So God is speaking We must listen. We know that in this dispensation of grace, God speaks in different ways now. He doesn't necessarily speak to us through an audible voice. But listen, there have been times in my life that God has spoken to my heart so clearly that it almost sounded like an audible voice. Haven't you felt that way before? Where you've just felt so impressed as the Spirit of God spoke to your heart that there could be no denying the fact that it was God who was speaking. So God speaks in different ways and at different times. To hear God speak, I believe we have to turn down the volume of the world and tune in our hearts to listen to God. And it is not easy to do in a world filled with so much noise as our world. Imagine what it used to be like years ago when men men had to walk everywhere they went or ride a horse everywhere they went. Now you get in a car, you turn on the radio. You come in the home, we turn on the television or you're on the computer and there is noise everywhere. Even if you pump gas, a lot of the gas stations now have video screens on their gas pumps. You go to the grocery store, there are televisions in the aisles and you're constantly receiving inputs. Not that it's a bad thing, I'm just saying there's a lot of noise around us, and sometimes in today's world it's difficult to find a quiet place where we can tune down the volume of the world and really tune our hearts to listen to what God has to say. When God spoke to Samuel here at the Old Testament tabernacle in Shiloh, I believe it's probably one of the greatest forgotten stories of the Old Testament. 
but it is a story that truly has an incredible message of how we're to listen to what God has to say. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, maybe you're not that familiar with the book of Samuel and you've missed the first couple of sermons, you can go to uh, our website and you can listen to all of the sermons that are preached here by me and Jim and anybody else for that matter. They're archived for you there and maybe you can catch up uh, where we are here in Samuel chapter 3 this morning. But in this third chapter, uh, you will remember that it chronicles for us that Samuel becomes a priest. He is the last judge. The book of Judges closes. He now becomes the first priest. The first priest, excuse me, the first prophet. Not the first prophet in the sense that he is the original one or the only one at that time. What I mean by that, he is the first prophet after Israel became a unified nation. Up to this, they've always been kind of a disconnected group of tribes ever since the conquest of Canaan land. But now they come together as a unified nation. They are transitioning from a theocracy where God was to be their king to a monarchy where they wanted a earthly king to rule over them. And God is going to give them their first king, and that would be King Saul, followed by King David. And then you have have a whole book, First and Second Kings, that outlines and gives you all of the kings in the history of Israel during this time of the monarchy. So Samuel is this first prophet during this time that Israel becomes kind of a unified nation. Now you'll remember his birth from chapter 1. His mom was unable to conceive But she prayed and she asked God for a child. God so kindly answered her prayer, allowed her to conceive and give birth to Samuel. She was so grateful that she brings Samuel to the tabernacle in Shiloh. She dedicates him to the Lord and she leaves him there under the tutelage of the priest Eli. And Eli is to help train Samuel to help disciple him, to help mature him, to help him grow in the things of God. But you'll remember, Eli was really not living the way he should have been living. He was the high priest, yes. His role was to lead Israel in the things of God, yes. But sometimes ideal and reality are worlds apart. And that is true for Eli. What he said was not how he lived. In fact, he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas who were absolute scoundrels. The Bible says that they totally neglected the way they were supposed to handle the sacrifices, if you remember that from chapter 2 last week. They were also having inappropriate relationships with women at the temple, if you can even allow your mind to go there. So the Bible says they were literally sons of Belial. That was a word in chapter 2 that was even used for Satan, that these two boys' lives were just spiraling out of control, and Eli did very little to try to alter the direction that their lives were going. So this morning, what I want us to do is take a look at this narrative. And I want us to listen as God speaks to Samuel. But even more than that, listen as God speaks to our own heart this morning. So first of all, I want you to note the privilege of hearing God. The privilege of hearing God. Notice verse 1. The child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Now look at that word. If you carry the King James, you see the word precious. Some translations use the word rare. In the Hebrew, the descriptor, the, the, the descriptor here, excuse, excuse me, the descriptor, I'll get it out in a minute, 
which is precious or rare, is usually reserved for a very expensive item, something that's very costly, like a piece of jewelry, a, a diamond or a fine ruby or something like that, something that we would call precious. Another translation says this, in those days, a message from the Lord was a rare treasure, that it was rare in those days to hear from God, that it was not something that happened regularly to hear. Can you imagine living your life and never hearing God speak to your heart? Never being able to pick up his word and, and you read it and it's like the Holy Spirit just awakens you to the truth of God. That'd be a discouraging time, wouldn't it? If you would never hear God speaking. Hearing God is a great privilege. I mean, David said it this way in the Psalms. What is man that thou art mindful of him? We put it in today's vernacular. It's like David lifts his eyes toward heaven, and he says, God, who in the world am I that you'd speak to me? Don't you feel that way? I know I do. Lord, who am I that, you would, that you'd hear my prayer? Who am I that you would answer a prayer that comes from a, a sinful person like me? And we're all just humbled by the fact that God wants us to approach his throne with our prayers and our petitions. And God wants to not only hear from us, but God wants us to hear from him. And he wants us to listen as he speaks. In the days when Samuel came on the scene, it was as though the heavens had been shut up and God was silent. Because remember it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. God was not speaking very often. Why do you suppose that was? I mean, we know that during the intertestamental period, from the close of the Old Testament to the opening of the New Testament, there was 400 years we call the silent years. Those 400 years that God didn't speak through a prophet this is similar, it didn't last that long, but why do you suppose when Samuel comes on the scene as the first prophet that the word of God was so rare, that the speaking of God was not very common? Primarily, now listen, primarily because the people were not listening. You know what? I believe God is speaking all around us all the time. But I also believe that oftentimes we're not tuned in to what God is saying. And we don't recognize that God is speaking or how he is speaking. And we just plod along through life uh, not really realizing or knowing or understanding that God is talking all around us or reaching all around us or moving or working all around us and we don't realize it. You see, primarily, the folk weren't listening. How did the book of Judges close? We spent a number of months in the book of Judges. It closed with these words, every man did that which was right in his own eyes, meaning that they had disregarded what God said and they had substituted their own secular humanism for what God said. So what had happened now, heaven was silent because man was not going to listen anyway to what God had to say. Do you remember when Jesus came to Jerusalem one day? The Bible says he looks out over the crown of the city, most religious place in the world, even then. And he begins to weep for the city of Jerusalem. And as those copious tears pour down his face, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
How often would I have gathered you together as a hen would gather its chicks under its wings, but you would not. He said, we sent you the prophets and you stoned them and you killed them, that you rejected every representative that God had sent your direction. So the problem was God was going to stop speaking because the people had stopped listening. The priesthood was corrupt. The nation was in a state of decline. And they had traded what God said for what they thought was right in their own. Listen, sounds like today, does it not? Sounds like what we're living in today. So the word of God, we have to tune in and we listen. You know, I believe that the focus of every church as we worship God always has to be centered around not a human opinion, but it is always centered in what this book right here has to say. Because this is the standard for how we're to live our lives. This is what we call the, the revelation. It's theonutsos in the Greek. It is God-breathed, God-inspired. And every word in here is, is meant to help us grow and to rebuke us and to mature us and to grow us. And we have to give the Word of God first place in our lives and first place in the church because there's enough, uh, enough of God's Word to, to uh, feed the church from now until the Lord comes back. But we, and then some. But we always have to give that a prominent place in our lives. Paul says this to Timothy. He said, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Rebuke, convince, exhort with all, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I believe even though we are in 2021, dealing with a worldwide pandemic, dealing with social issues, Perhaps unlike we've seen maybe in my lifetime or even in the history of our country, I'm not sure, but certainly not very pleasant right now. But I still believe even in these dark days, there are people who have a hunger for God. Don't you believe that? Amen. And there are people who have a hunger for God's Word. And they want to know, what does God say about this situation? What does God say and what does God want and what God expects? Do you know a poll was taken asking unchurched people who had stopped going to church why they had stopped going? And this is what the poll said. 49% stated that the church is not sufficient in helping me find meaning in life. 56% said the church is too concerned with organizational issues and not spiritual issues. I go to church, but they're talking about this meeting, that meeting, this committee, that committee, this pledge, that pledge, instead of helping me find what God is really saying and giving me help in my spiritual life. Psalm 19, God gives two basic ways that he speaks uh, generally through creation and specifically through his word. Psalm 19 speaks to both of those. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day to day they utter their speech. Night to night they reveal knowledge. There is no voice or language where their speech is not heard. Meaning that God speaks, one of the ways he speaks today, he just lets you look up into the, into the sky. You see the beauty of his creation. And you know that God is, God is speaking to you through that. And if, and if, and if the beauty... The sun, the moon, the stars, the beauty of the art that God hangs in the sky. If it's that beautiful, how much more wonderful, incredible must the artist be that put it there? 
So all of creation speaks to the glory of God, but also Psalm 19 talks about how God and his word, how it is good and how it is pure and how it is right and how it is God's law, and his word speaks to us as well. We just have to apply it to our lives. So here in Samuel's life, he is a young man at this point, about 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. And he is serving in the tabernacle under the tutelage of Eli. Notice verse number 2. It came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. Now get the scene, okay? They're in the tabernacle. It's located in Shiloh. That's the place where the Ark of the Covenant was housed after the conquest of Canaan land. Eli is in his bedroom getting ready to go to sleep. Samuel's in his his bedroom there at the tabernacle, and the Bible says Samuel is sleeping. Notice verse 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. Now notice that. Where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now this was a commandment that this menorah or this lampstand should be burning perpetually, according to Exodus 27. Listen to this passage. Command the children of Israel to bring pure olive oil for the lamp. Stand so it can be burning continually in the tabernacle of the congregation. So at this point in the story, in the narrative, they let the lamp go out. Regularly they were to fill it with olive oil, keep it burning perpetually. But it indicates the neglect of the priesthood in that day. I already told you they were corrupt. But it just indicates how they were careless, how they were perfunctory in the manner of caring for the things of God that they would even allow this lampstand to run out of olive oil and let it go out at night. It is a picture to us of this that the spiritual leadership in Samuel's day couldn't see very far. That, that, that it was almost like a smothering dark cloud was over the land. And people were longing for a ray of light, and God was about to send it through this young boy named Samuel. Again, not even a teenager, or maybe a preteen or barely a teenager. He's sleeping in his bedchamber, and he hears a voice speak to him. Look in verse 4. The Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. He ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you call me. And Eli said, Samuel, I didn't call you. Go lay back down. Now, how do you think Samuel must have felt? (laughs) You know, he he gets up in the middle of the night after he hears this voice speak to him, and he's thinking maybe it's Eli. Eli is getting old. His eyes have grown dim. He's extremely overweight. His health is not good as the way the Bible pictures him. And when Samuel hears this voice, he immediately thinks maybe Eli needs something. He gets up from his bed. He goes into Eli's room, and he said, yeah, what do you want? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Then it happens again. Look in the next, look in the next passage. Look in uh, verse uh, 6. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here am I, for you did call me. And he answered, Man, I didn't call you, Eli. Go lay back down kind of reminds me of the story that I'd heard a long time ago. A 
guy by the name of Phil Hoskins had told this story that he was away in a meeting and uh, had heard this preacher share this story where uh, the preacher said that he had had a busy, busy day and that he was preaching a number of times while he was out of town and he was in a motel room and late at night a knock came on his door and he says he got up and he walked across the floor and he opened the door and there was a man standing at his door that obviously had way, way, way too much to drink. And this man was weaving and wobbling back and forth. And he says, excuse me, sir, is this my room? And the man says, no, this is not your room. This is my room. And he closed the door and he went back to bed. And just a little while, he knocked again. The guy gets back out of bed, goes and opens the door. And the drunk man says, excuse me, sir, is this my room? And the guy says, no, this is not your room. A little more firm this time. I done told you it's not your room. It's my room. And he goes back to bed. And again, the guy knocks a third time. And the preacher gets up, and he goes to the door, and there's this old guy wobbling again, and he says, excuse me, is this my room? And the preacher says, no, sir, and he gets very angry, and he says, this is the third time I've told you this is not your room, this is my room. To which the man replies, but excuse me, sir, but do you own every room in this motel? Well, for Eli, Eli's like, Samuel, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Go back to sleep. Samuel goes to sleep. He hears the voice of the Lord again, not knowing it's God's voice, thinking it's Eli. He gets up a third time, and he goes back to Eli, verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the Lord, the word of the Lord, yet revealed to him. Doesn't mean he wasn't a believer. It just means that Samuel, as he's growing here as a young man, that he has not heard God speak as God would speak to a prophet before. You see, God would give to the prophets his message, and this is the first time that Samuel would experience this, and he's trying to unravel what all of this means. Look in verse 8. The Lord called Samuel again the third time. He rose, he went to Eli, and he says, Here I am, for you did call me. Now notice verse 8, the last part. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. That word perceived, some translations say uh, uh, realized or discerned. It's a great word. Eli discerned that it was God speaking to Samuel. When we talk about discerning or discernment, it is just that experience that you have in your heart. Maybe sometimes you can verbalize it and you, can, you can't verbalize it other times. But when something is not right, haven't you felt this before? That in your spirit, you can just tell that's not of God. Or maybe in your spirit, you can, say, you can tell, you know, this is of God. I've had that to happen. I'm sure you have too. Or you just know in your heart, this is not of God. And as those warning flags kind of go off, that's what that word discernment mean, means. Samuel didn't really understand that yet, but Eli kind of helps him through it. And now Eli is, is discerning that this is God dealing with him. Look in verse number 9. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place. Samuel, if you'll go lie down one more time, and if you hear this voice again, you respond this way. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And if I could give any counsel to any of us here this morning, 
it would be to tune your heart to God, to hunger for his, his voice and for his word, and to listen. Listen to what God has to say for you. Listen as Samuel did. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Do you know the Bible says that the natural man doesn't understand the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. Neither can he know them. But it is the spirit that as he speaks, our response should be, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to listen. I want to know what your will is for my life. Jesus said it this way, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and another they will not follow. I read recently the story of a, of a community where uh, back in the olden days, long before refrigerators came on the scene, uh, they used to use ice houses. And, of course, I'm sure you know what an ice house is. In the wintertime, when the, when the creeks and the rivers would freeze over, the lakes and the ponds, uh, individuals would cut out large chunks of ice, and they would take it to the ice house and store it. The ice house usually kind of built, uh, at least a portion of it, below ground, thick walls, well insulated for those days. They would take these large chunks of ice, cover them over with sawdust or with straw, and try to preserve as much as that, of that ice as they could in the winter so as weather got warmer, they would still have access to ice. The story said that there was a day when a man was working in the ice house and he lost a very expensive watch. And he combed the ice house and he invited his friends to come and they combed the ice house and, and lo and behold, they couldn't find his watch. And then one day at noon, this little boy who had heard this man could not find his watch goes into the ice house when everybody else had left and after a little while, he comes out and he's holding this man's watch. They couldn't believe he found it. And they said, son, tell us how you found the watch. He said, well, I went down to the ice house when nobody else was around. And I looked around, looked around, I couldn't find it, and I just got this idea. If I could just lay down and be quiet, just lie down and be still, that's what I did. And as I lay there, just quiet, I began to hear the watch ticking. And that's how I found it. God says, be still and know that I'm God. And with all the noise that's around us, we have to tune out that volume and tune in to God. And we just listen as he speaks to our heart because, listen, it is a great privilege to hear God speak. And God wants to communicate with each of us. It's a great privilege. But also, secondly, I want you to know Hearing from God's not only a great privilege, but it prompts action. Notice verse 10. The word came, excuse me, the Lord came, verse 10, and called out as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel answered, just as Eli had said, speak, for your servant hears. Calls him by name twice there. Go to verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, this is not good news that Samuel's about to receive, by the way. Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that hears, it shall tingle. God uses that phrase three different times that the ears of the people, when they hear this message, 
their ears will tingle. He says that in the book of 2 Kings, he says, I will bring such destruction upon Jerusalem when they hear this, this message that their ears will tingle. He also says it again in the book of Jeremiah chapter 19. What is this message? God spoke to him over and over and over. And now this young boy, here's the message that God gives him. He's going to tell Samuel about the disintegration of Eli's family. Let me say that again. He wakes him up over and over and over. And finally Samuel is like, God, your servant is listening. Speak to me. Tell me. And as God begins to tell him about the disintegration of Eli's family, Eli the high priest, what's his two boys' names? Hophni and Phinehas. Their lives had spiraled out of control. God's going to say to them that when you hear this message, it'll make your ears tingle. It means, it's a euphemism, to, it'll make your life shudder. We say it this way, it just sends chills down your spine. Well, that's what God is really saying here as he talks about the carnality of Eli's family. Verse 13, verse 12. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things that I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. Remember back in chapter 2 last week, we looked at how Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, took the meat that they weren't supposed to take, how they had inappropriate relationships with the women at the tabernacle. Eli never really rebuked them for that. Now God's going to hold him accountable, verse 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile. Look at this. And he restrained them not. In other words, hearing from God's not only a privilege, but hearing from God prompts action. You can't be passive when we hear God speak. And as God speaks to Samuel, he says, Eli's Eli is really responsible for the, the way that his sons are living this reckless kind of a lifestyle, and he never one time really tried to rebuke them for it and to lead them the right way. Look in verse 14. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Such a dire warning. God wakes him up three, actually four times to give him this message. Let's just read it, verse 15. Samuel lay till the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. I would imagine he would have some trepidation about telling Eli what God told him, wouldn't you? Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord said to you? Don't hide it from me. God, do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. And Samuel told him every whit and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good. Chuck Swindoll gives four insights into the disintegration of Eli's family that I want to give to you very quickly. This is what he says. Now remember, Eli was the high priest, leading the things of God, leading the nation to know God, but he didn't lead his family. Listen to what Dr. Swindoll says. Number one, preoccupation with occupation to the exclusion of family need. Preoccupation with occupation to the exclusion of family need. 
In other words, his occupation drained so much out of him that he had nothing left to give to his family. Or he allowed that to happen. Number two, refusal to face the severity of children's actions. Refusal to face the severity of children's actions, meaning that Eli neglected to guide his children when they were young, therefore he has no um, credibility in their lives as they get older. I know for my, my own children, um, they're not my children anymore. They're my sons, but they're not my children because they're not children. They're grown men. And our relationship has to change. I'm still their dad. They're still my, my sons. But now, but now I can't tell them to do anything. I mean, they're all bigger than me, and they'll, they'll let me have it. if I, were, I can't tell them what I, would, what, what I want them to do. I can't live their lives for them. I can't make them do anything because they're all married. They all live their own lives. They all do their own thing. Sometimes they might do things I approve of. Sometimes they might do things that I would do differently. But I can't control their lives. But I want you to know what makes Dad so happy. It's when they call and they say, Dad, what do you think about this? Or, Dad, what do you think about this? And they're going through something or they're dealing with something and they're asking me something. You know, sometimes you feel helpless. I have a son who lives in Texas. And, uh, of course, you've seen on the news what's happening in Texas. Uh, record low temperatures, water lines freezing, and, and I couldn't get out there to help him if I, if I tried, probably. But it just warms the heart of Dad when your kids call and say, how are you doing? Or what about this? Or what about that? And I think, I think we build those relationships when, we were, when they're younger, don't you? But for Eli, for Eli, he refused to face the severity of his own child's actions when they were young. In other words, he let them get away with murder. And now when they're adults, he has no credibility to speak truth in their lives. Number three, Chuck Swindoll says, failure to respond quickly and thoroughly to the warnings of others. Sometimes, as a parent, it's easy to see where other kids are getting off track, but we're blinded where our own kids get off track. You know that? It's easy to see the fault in others' kids and to see how mean other kids are, and we fail to see it in the lives of our own children. That's what happened to Eli. Number four, rationalization of the wrong, thereby becoming part of the problem. Let me say that again rationalization of the wrong. And when we rationalize wrong, whether it's in the lives of our children or anybody else, we become complicit in that wrongdoing. And if we rationalize the wrong behavior of our children, well, you know, everybody's doing it. We become implicit in, complicit in that. But yet, those are the four. Let me give them to you again. Rationalization of the wrong, thereby becoming part of the problem. Failure to respond quickly and thoroughly to the warnings of others. Refusal to face the severity of children's actions. And preoccupation with occupation to the exclusion of family needs. God was going to hold Eli responsible for allowing his children to be unrestrained. As we close, let me give you this. Two Harvard sociologists did some research on this, and they discovered some primary factors that were necessary that can help prevent delinquency of children. And this is what they say. Number one, a father's firm, fair, and consistent discipline. Firm, fair, consistent. Number two, a mother's supervision and companionship during the day. 
Number three, the parents demonstrated affection for each other and the children. And then number four, the family spending time together in activities everywhere they participated. It's called preventative discipline, meaning that you might prevent a lot of discipline in the lives of your kids if you follow those four guidelines. Spend time with them, show them you love their spouse, honor God with your life. Is living hard work? Yes. Is raising kids hard work? Yes. Is raising a family hard work? Yes. Is all that we do in life, is it difficult? Man, life sometimes can be very, very hard. But you can never really navigate through life if you're not tuned in to listening to the voice of God. God's speaking. What's he saying to your own heart today about your family? What's he saying to your own heart today about about your life? About corrections that we need to make in our life? We can say, man, it's just too hard. David Livingston was a missionary to Africa. And he served during some of the worst times that a man could imagine a time of poverty, a time of disease, a time of national unrest uh, many, many years ago. And someone had written him a letter and said, Mr. Livingston, are there any good roads that lead to where you are? If there are some good roads, we will send some men to help you. To which Livingston wrote back, I don't want people that's looking for good roads I want people that's willing to come where there are no roads and see the difficulty and just work through it. Sometimes it looks like there's just no roads and that life is overgrown with troubles. But listen, God is speaking. Turn down the volume of the world and listen. Listen. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so very clear, and as we've kind of blown the dust off of this Old Testament story, it sure does speak to our heart. It's a reminder, Lord, of how we have to tune in to you because you're speaking all around us, and we don't want to move through life oblivious to the fact that you're speaking, unaware of the fact that you have a plan for us. So God, right now in the quietness of this moment, we ask that you would speak to our heart Show us, Lord, where we need to make those corrections. If it's in our family life, if it's in our work life, if it's in our personal life, if it's in our spiritual life. Because, Lord, we want to be, as the prophet Isaiah said, the clay in the hand of the potter. That you'd mold us and shape us and make us a vessel of honor. As we have this time of invitation, Lord, we just simply invite you to speak to hearts. There may be those here today who want to unite with our church family, others who just want to come and pray. Take this invitation and use it in a way that will honor you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.